Jack and Jill uh, had a storybook type of romance. Jack was leaving school one day, campus. He was going to go golfing with his buddies. He was going to meet them at the golf course. And just as he pulled off the exit ramp onto, or entrance ramp onto the, the road, he noticed a car off to the side, uh, flashers on, but there was a, a sticker in the back window, school sticker. So he stopped to help, and that's when he met Jill who was on her way home for the long weekend, but a flat tire kind of derailed her a little bit, uh, which should have been an easy task, really turned into a a circus in a hurry. The the car jack was was rusted, and they couldn't get it to operate properly. The the lug nuts were kind of like welded on, and they weren't coming off real easy. On top of that, it started to rain. Then it started to pour. And Jill is faithful, holding the umbrella, trying to keep herself and Jack from getting wet. And, but lo and behold, they finish this thing. They get everything put away. And just as they do, it stops raining. So they, they drop the umbrella and they're high-fiving. These strangers are high-fiving themselves along the side of the road because they accomplished this in the middle of a tsunami. And we're dry. And all of a sudden, an 18-wheeler comes by and hits this mud puddle and just drenches both of them. And they look at each other in shock. They kind of stare and they see mud sliding down the other person's face and water on their glasses and hair. And they start to laugh. And then they start to howl. And their tears are coming down their face. This is so hilarious. They decide they're going to get off the next exit. And there's, there's a Perkins there. They'll just meet there. And they'll try to clean up in the bathroom as much as they can. And then have, have some breakfast. Well, they meet. They have breakfast. They start talking. They're laughing and laughing and talking. And this goes on and on for hours. Jack and Jill were seldom apart at this, from this point on. Again, it was a storybook type of romance. He would write her poetry. And she would figure out what his favorite foods were. And she was a great cook. So she would make them for him to imperfection. They were avid outdoors people. And so they would spend a lot of time hiking. They would go uh, taking a great interest in each other's interests. Nothing was more important to Jack than Jill and vice versa. Wherever Jack was, even if he he fell down, she's by his side. If she took a tumble, he's right next to her. Uh, One would say that these guys have the perfect, perfect relationship. Fast forward 25 years. On the outside, it still looks like it's going well. Jack's bringing home the paycheck. Jack is making sure the house is maintained. He's making sure the bills are paid. Jill's taking care of her, her work properly. She's also taking care of all the kids and taking all the home stuff, making sure, sure everything's covered. But they're more like work associates than they are anything else. Everything's working efficiently. But uh, they lost that love and feeling. Whoa, that love and feeling. <laughs> they lost that love and feeling and it is gone, gone, gone. Whoa, yes, yes. Now, we expect, right, that that love and romance 25 years later should look a little bit different. Hopefully it will mature. It's going to take some pings along the way, but hopefully get deeper because of that. So it's, it's, it's going to grow. But sometimes the intimacy between the two goes out the window. It's not there anymore. We've got nothing but this shell. Uh, there is an enemy to that intimacy. We looked at last week as we started our series on Happily Ever After. That enemy is not in-laws, it's not finances, it's not my spouse, it's not personality issues. It is my heart. If you weren't here last week, I encourage you to grab the CD. You can listen to it online. Uh, this morning, what we want to look at, though, is a biblical principle that spans all relationships. 
And if, in fact, you can grab hold of this biblical principle, I can tell you right on the front end, it's going to be easy to understand, it's going to be difficult to do. But if you can grab a hold of this and practice this, as, as all of God's word, it has the power to transform your, your, your marriage. Now, let me set this up for you first before I reveal it. Let's look at the video. you can understand how a young girl will look at the beauty on the billboard and then look in the mirror and say, man, so silly, the beauty on the cover of the magazine and then look in the mirror. She sees the standard that's out there, that there's no way in the world she comes near. What does that do to her, her, her identity, who she is? Now, if truth be known, and what she not, that little girl might not understand is that billboard beauty is an illusion. She does not exist. No one on the planet. The girl on the billboard doesn't look like the girl on the billboard. The computer had to get a hold of her and elongate the neck and change and broaden the eyes and all those things. But even without the computer, that girl on the billboard doesn't look like that 99.9% of the time. And we're not without a team of cosmologists and hair people and makeup people and fancy lights and, and nice lenses. And, and that's what allows her to look like that when she gets up in the morning, that girl on the billboard. Remember, did you see her right on the front end of the, the show? Uh, this is the deal. It, she's okay, but stringy hair. She probably gets up in the morning, her hair's looking like this. Her, her breath is smelling pretty gargantuan type. You know, she's just a, she's ornery. She's got to get sick once in a while. But the little girl looks at that. The standard looks at herself, I fail. Hollywood has done to marriage what it has done to beauty. There's a standard out there. We look and we see, and they, Nashville and, and New York, and they paint a great picture, don't they? And we look at it, wow. And we look at ours, yeah, you know, right? Wow. That's what it's supposed to be. And then we look at ours, but this is what I got. And so we think, well, what do we do with this? What's, what's the solution? Well, of course the solution is, you know, the problem is anyway, our spouse, right? That, we got the wrong one. That's what happened. That's what always happens. It's always their fault. It's never my fault. Uh, there's a uh, in, young intern. He's walking through his first day at the, at the psychiatric hospital. He's walking through the, the ward with the doctor in charge, and they pass a room padded room, a man in there in a straight jacket, and he's banging his head against the wall going, Linda, Linda, oh, Linda, Linda, why have you done this to me, Linda? And the intern looks at the doctor. He says, well, what happened? What's this guy's story? He says, oh, yeah. See, this guy was supposed to marry Linda. He came to the altar of the church. Everything was set, but she jilted him. She didn't show up. And he's just so sure that if he'd married her, his life would be different, but he's, he's never gotten over it. And the intern's going, oh, yeah, that's terrible. 
So they walk down the hallway and they get to the next room, padded room, man in there with a straight jacket, banging his head against the, the wall. Linda, 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 why, why? And the intern says, well, what's this man's story? The doctor says, ah, this is the guy that married Linda. <laughs> we are sure that what we don't have is the answer. Isn't this true on all areas of life? We're sure that what we don't have is the answer. And if we just had it, we would be okay. Jay Fetland and Associates, law firm, several years ago, they targeted the, the uh, professionals on Chicago's Gold Coast. Big billboard, huge billboard. says, life is short. Get a divorce. I mean, can you say it any clearer? And obviously, if you don't have that, that, that Hollywood version, if you don't have that illusion of a marriage, then... Don't waste your time. Get out while you can. Don't waste any more time. That's, that's the thought. That's the, uh, that's the idea. That's where they're coming from. Now, when we get married to our spouse, we, we, we don't see all of their issues, of course. They don't see all of ours. But, but it's not that anyone's really at fault. It's part of the whole dating game, at least in the, in the U.S. Um, we know when we're dating, we put our best foot forward, right? What idiot would put their worst foot forward? We, we, we try to put a spotlight on our strengths and our good things and, and kind of our bad things kind of fall in the shadows a little bit. Also, dating is a very noble time of life, isn't it? When you, when you first get married, aren't you saying, I'm going to be the best husband the world has ever seen. You know, I'm going to be the best boyfriend. I'm going to be the best. And we're just going to be the best. We, it's a noble time. We're going to sacrifice. We're going to give everything to the other person. And we're doing a lot of that. During the dating time, right? Uh, during the dating time, we've got, we got rose-colored glasses on. Sometimes we don't see the weaknesses even when they're in front of us. Uh, some will say, well, honey, are you sure he's the man for you? You know, there's an age difference. He's 26 and you're 16. He says, oh, no, see, he's mature. He's mature. That's, that's, see, that's how she interprets it. Or, honey, you sure he's the guy? Because, you know, he just got out of jail and all. Well, yeah, God's grace is so good. He understands it. Well, he's got four children by four different women. Are you sure? Well, yeah, he's a good dad. All that experience. You know what I'm saying? Isn't he like the leader of the coven down the street? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's spiritual and sensitive. And we don't see things. We got those rose-colored glasses on. Then we get married, right? And it's just awful hard to continually put the best foot forward. It's just draining. And so you just let back a little bit. And when you do, the other person sees your humanity. Maybe you say something that's just a little curt or you didn't mean to. But Well, then it takes their nobility and they drop their nobility down to match yours. And they do something. Well, then you get a little bit frustrated. You drop your nobility down to match theirs. And you're going to be a little late. And oh, yeah, they're going to do that. And before you know it, the rose-colored glasses are off. The boxing gloves are on. And this is the relationship. And, and sparks fly when the two fallen hearts bang into each other. Now, often when that happens, it's, a, it's an issue of unmet expectations, right? Have you ever heard, I shouldn't have to have told you, you just should have known. What do you do with that one? You should have known. And, and I would have expected you to cook supper and have it ready at this time. And not just that. It's got to be the right supper. And it's got to be cooked right. It's got to be just like my mom would do it. And, or, or I need you. I expect you to respond around the house, to work around the house the way my dad did. 
Or, or, or I expect you to not lay your socks all over the house or not be a slob or not obsessed about something or tell me whenever you're going to purchase something or, or uh, pick up the kids on time or cut the lawn on time or pay the visa bill on time for crying out loud so we don't end up with this, with this incredible finance charge and you just get a little bit frustrated. And when that happens, when the hearts bump into each other because they certainly will, two fallen hearts, what do you do? I want, I want to suggest this. That what happens in those next moments is some of the most crucial moments to the history, future of your relationship. At that point, you come to a crossroads. Your, your relationship comes to a crossroads. Now, we've got a graphic here, and it doesn't, graphic doesn't work with me completely, but it's the best crossroads we can come up with. So, so l- listen for a second. When you come to that point, you can do one of two things. You can choose to your left. You look to your left. And there's a eight-lane, well-paved road. This is, this is the default road. This is where you will normally go if you don't think. It's the road a lot of other folk have gone. This is the road of unhealthy reaction to your spouse. And the way this looks, it works, it looks differently, different people. You may be a screamer, right? Someone is verbal violence, we call it. And this is what, you know, you're just going to let your spouse know what a disappointment they are. And you're going to let them know, my, my past since I've known you has been bad, my future's awful, and the fu- you know, future's not looking any better, present's awful as well. And we're just upset at this person letting them know that, you know, I could have married Lola, and I'll tell you, if I had a chance to do this again, I'm going to do it differently now. But how many times do I have to tell you until you never, and you always, and you're just like your mother, and oh, you know, verbal violence. Or... You might respond in silence. See, this is, this is my personal choice. I think this one has got something to say for it. Well, you don't. You don't outwardly let a whole lot of steam out, but inwardly there's a major storm going on. And Therese will tell me sometimes, she'll say, Mark, you're pursing your lips. No, no I'm not. No, I'm not. You know, my furrows. And, and you may be quiet for sometimes weeks, right? You, and it's, it's getting back at them is the goal. That's what you're trying to do. You might slam the door. You might squeal the tires. Maybe you'll go into a passive-aggressive thing. You know, you're cleaning the mantle, and their favorite thing is right on the mantle as you're cleaning it. You know, their, their award prize, their leg lamp, whatever, and you kind of crashes on the floor. Oh, I'm sorry. It broke. You know, you're just happy. You're going to hurt them just a little bit more. That's, 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 the how, that's how we respond. Or if you're not a... And this has got different words. This is all over the psychological um, uh, documentation. Uh, silence or violence. Uh, one who hides, one who hurls. It's just how we respond a little bit differently. Now, if you're real mature, you may not go down either one of those roads. You may just roll your eyes, deep breathing exercises, shake your head a little bit. You know. And what we've communicated with all those things is we've communicated what a loser they are that they are nothing but a disappointment to us, that their insensitivity is eclipsed only by their self-absorption. And if I had a chance to do it over again, I'm going to try to make do the best, but if I had the chance to do this over again, that's what we communicate. That's one way you can go. Or as you're standing at that crossroads, and that's, that's the way you will go, I will go, unless we stop and think, but at that crossroads, if you look off to the right, you see a footpath winding up a hill. looks kind of uh, uh, not very well worn. Very few people have gone this way. It looks like it could be difficult. It is difficult. But it's the way of marital, not just harmony, growth. It's, it's the way of your marriage becoming that which God wants it to be.
Now, there are, are, are different texts. Let me sh- show you a couple of verses, and then we'll unpack this a little bit. Proverbs 19.11. A man's wisdom gives him patience. It is to his glory to overlook an offense. He who covers over an offense promotes love. But whoever repeats the matter separates close friends. A fool shows his annoyance at once, but a prudent man overlooks an insult. Notice a couple things about these verses, real important. First of all, the, the, the offense is real. It's not imagined. It's not just a difference in opinion. It's not a preference difference. This is a real offense. I mean, this person really hurt you. They really did something really stupid. This was really wrong that they've done to you. It was an insult. It was an offense. There was pain involved. There's a cost you have to pay because some stupid thing they did. The, the, the offense is legitimate. Also notice the words that are associated with overlooking it. Wisdom, prudence, love, glory. This is if the person you want to become. One of the ways to get there is overlooking an offense. Glory. Uh, wisdom, prudence. Very, very important deal. Next verse. Well, here's our principle. Heavenly spouses overlook offenses. Can you say this with me? Heavenly spouses. Can you want to say it again? This time don't elbow the person next to you, okay? <laughs> Heavenly spouses overlook offenses. Yes, yes, yes. That's by the way, the, the opposite is true as well. Hellish spouses don't. Overlook offenses. You might say, oh, okay, um, um, how do I do this? Because I come to the, the crossroads, something happens, they do something stupid, it's an offense, it's real, it's legitimate. I come to that crossroads, and my default system, like you've just mentioned, is to go the wrong way. To, but, so how can I, can I go the right, how can I turn and go the other way? How can I overlook an offense? Well, there's a couple different ways that we can do that. First of all, is we want to understand why we don't. Overlook offenses very easy. Now, we think that this is the reason. We think it's because of that spouse of mine. That's why. Because they did something so stupid. I mean, everybody would. I mean, my reaction is, is, is it's, it's not really mine. It's there. See, they are the cause of it. I won't react if they don't do anything stupid. Easy enough. We got a deal. But they're going to do stupid, hurtful things. And, of course, this is why I react. And so we are convinced that throwing the pan was okay because we didn't throw the 10-quart cooker, which is what they deserve, right? We're convinced that, that getting loud and saying those things was okay because we didn't swear very much in it. And so that's okay because they deserved that. And we think the reason why I say and do and act is because of them. Jesus, I think, would say... Not so quick. Not so quick. Proverbs, or Matthew 12. He says, You brood of vipers, how can you who are evil say anything good? For out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. It's like a tube of toothpaste. When the pressure is on it, it's squeezed. What comes out is what's inside. Jesus would say that the issue is not necessarily that my spouse did something stupid. They did do something stupid. But it's what's going on in here. And this is the, fir- the first step to being able to overlook the offense. To realize that my response is not necessarily what my spouse did. My response is my own heart. 
It's not necessarily about the fact that they didn't send me a sweetest day card or that they didn't have the house looking like I wanted or they forgot to do this or they forgot to do that. that that's not the main issue. That's an issue. But it's not the main one. The main one is right in here. We need to understand. Now, uh, you say, well, hang on, hang on. Are you telling me we never put it on the table here? You saying overlook every offense? That's what I'm supposed to do? Isn't there a Bible verse somewhere that talks about saying stuff? Yeah, 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 there is. There is. Matthew 18. If your brother sins against you, or your sister, I suppose, go and show him his fault just between the two of you. If he listens to you, you have won your brother over. But if he will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen to even the church, treat him as you would a pagan or a tax collector. We find this speaking the truth in love. This is certainly a principle in Scripture that we do need to confront. We need to care enough to confront. And likewise, there's a principle in Scripture we're just going over. That is we're to overlook offenses. So how do you put these two together? Well, there's a time to overlook, and there's a time to put it on the table. There's a way to put it on the table. My, I have a friend, Chris Bronze. He wrote a book called Unpacking Forgiveness. Excellent little book. And he says, when you get to that crossroads, and you're trying to figure out, do I put this one on the table or do I overlook it? You can't go by your emotion, because your emotion is going to tell you it always goes on the table. So you need to ask yourself six questions, Chris says. And these are great. These are great questions. And if you ask yourself these six questions before, before you put it on the table, they'll let you know, give you at least some good direction on what you should do with this. First question is, have I examined myself yet? It's a good question. Let's see what Jesus says, Matthew 7. He says, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite! First take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Now, now just look at this first for a second. Does Jesus say, never try to take the speck out of your brother's eye? No, we're supposed to sometimes. But before we do that, before we try, he says you have got to do some self-examination first. There may be some repentance you need to keep in mind. You and I, none of us are going to probably be uh, awarded spouse of the year anytime soon. That we may be offending them as well. And perhaps we do the same sort of things that we're getting all lathered up about at them for. Or maybe other things. And so until you stop and evaluate yourself and examine yourself, and remember, when, when life is real hot, when the veins are popping out of your neck, that's not a real good time. You might need to cool down first before you do that. But until you do that, you have to overlook the, the offense because heavenly spouses overlook offenses. The second question. It says, how sure are you that you're right? I'm always sure. I'm always right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you're always right, you've got a pride issue, okay? Because you're not always right. And so that's something else that has to be dealt with because that's going to come out and manifest itself in every relationship you've got as well. You're not Always right. If there's, a, if there's a question, I may not be, but maybe, maybe not. Overlook the offense. Because heavenly spouses overlook offenses. A third question, he says, is really how important is this? Now, if in fact you think this is incredibly important, if you think everything is incredibly important, you've got a sensitivity issue. 
because everything's not. My mom used to tell me. I'd be getting all bent out of shape about something or, or taking on my brothers about something or other. And it was usually something very stupid. And she would say, Mark, this doesn't amount. No, she'd say, very southern. This don't amount to a hill of beans, she'd tell me. Now, I'm not sure about what that analogy completely means, but I do know that she's probably saying this is not that big of a deal. Would you think this is not that important? It's not worth sacrificing the relationship with your brothers over. Let it go. Paul would say, be rather wronged. Just let it go. Overlook it. Fourth question he asks is, is this a pattern that we see? I mean, if they missed the visa payment on time and you got hit with a major finance charge seven months ago and then six months ago they did it again and five months ago, you, you might want to be able to put that one on the table if there's a pattern you see unfolding in whatever it, it might be, if there's a pattern. A fifth question is what does wise counsel say? Wise counsel is not my girlfriends or my friends in the office or my friends that I go fishing with. Wise counsel according to Scripture. I mean, it could be, but wise counsel according to Scripture is always what is God's mind. So you seek out somebody that is not necessarily going to tell you whatever you want to hear, because we can all find those folk, but somebody who's going to reflect and represent God's word. We say, what do you think I should do with this one? How should I handle that? God promises to honor that. And then the sixth question is, what else is going on in their life? I think it was Max Lucado. I think it's Max Lucado who gave an illustration. He said that one day, uh, years and years ago, he was going to church Sunday morning, where he lived and where his church was. He needed to take the, the train, so he got on the train, and he usually loved the train Sunday morning because it was nice and quiet, and he could reflect and pray and, and read, and, and it was it was a nice time. But at the very next stop. That Sunday morning, this dad got on with four kids, and the dad kind of sat across the aisle from him, just sat there, and the kids just ran wild. And they were just obnoxious. They were getting, they were banging into people. They were screaming and yelling and fighting, and the dad didn't do anything about it. And Max is losing his quiet time. He's getting a little bit upset. He's looked, overlooked the offense for the first five, ten minutes, but then he pulls this guy. He says, hey, buddy, your kids are uh, a bit wound up this morning, aren't they? That's the, the proper cr- Christian way to do it. And, and Max says that the guy looked at over at him, kind of broke out of his trance, and he said, oh, uh, I, guess, I guess they are. Uh, we were in the hospital all night. Their mom died a couple hours ago, and I think they just don't know how to deal with it. Maybe there are no excuses, but my goodness, that sets things in perspective, doesn't it? Is your spouse dealing with something? Uh, their own health stuff or parent stuff or work stuff or uh, spiritual are they dealing with something huge that might cause some of this stuff to come out Chris says you, you need to ask, ask these questions and answer them first and if, if till you do overlook the offense and in a- asking and answering them you may end up overlooking the offense. Now, for all of us, we've got to put stuff on the table, we've got to overlook the offense, but just do an honest evaluation of yourself. If vast majority of time you're putting stuff on the table and you only overlook the offense once in a blue moon, please don't be feeling like you got an A-plus on this one, all right? We've got to overlook the offense because that's what heavenly spouses do. Uh, also, key part to understanding um, how I can overlook the offense because it's against our nature is to uh, understand the difference between reacting and responding. This is huge. 
this is huge. Because when I react, that's when I get my words and my actions that come out of my hurt. The basis is my hurt, my pain, the cost I've got to pay, my, my, my frustration. When, when I react, the, the goal is really, I would not say it this way, but it's to hurt the other person. They need to know how much they hurt me. See, I'm not going to be done with this thing until I know how much they hurt me. They need to understand that. And they need to understand what this costs me in every way. They need to understand that I picked up their stupid mistake and what it's done to me. That's a reaction. The, 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 the source is really my, my flesh. It's my sinful, wicked, self-centered heart. To respond, on the other hand, just got to stop and think this through, but it comes out of a concern for the other person. My words and actions that I say, a response to their thing, whatever they did, it's concern for them. It is, uh, the goal is really their betterment. If they keep doing this, it's going to mess up all kinds of stuff in their life. And the, the source is the Holy Spirit. You, you're not going to be able to pull this one off without leaning into the Holy Spirit huge before you need to have surrendered your life to him in that process. So, so you, understanding that idea of reaction and response, how do, let me just answer yourself, typically how do you, now we're, don't, be guilt, don't feel guilty, we're all going to default, this is our default system, we're all going to go that reaction side, but part of sanctification, being transformed is growing and that ability and that getting to the place where we're responding more than we are reacting. Next slide. The picture, of course, is Jesus. Can you imagine Jesus up on the cross? He looks down on his people and he says, Losers. Listen, guys, if you would have just obeyed when I asked you to, I wouldn't be up here. No, but, but you can't. No, you have to sin. And you, but now look it. Who's paying the price for your sin? Huh? You? Oh, no, I am. If you would have just, look what you've done to me. But, but Jesus doesn't do that. It says that when they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. Aren't you glad that the Holy Spirit is not constantly reminding and bringing up on a regular basis? Uh, the, my brother got married years ago, and, and uh, shortly after his marriage, he had a big old battle with his wife. All kinds of stuff came out in that battle. She was saying stuff that he forgot that he'd done. It was just a rough thing. So he went, wasn't sure how to deal with this, because they hadn't had a fight up to this point. So he went to a pastor friend. He said, how does this work? I don't understand what, what's going on. And the pastor friend said, oh, Matt, you need to keep in mind that every woman has a bag. Actually, all men have a bag, too. Please, no emails this week. Every, everybody has a bag. And what happens is you do something stupid, and they take it, and they just smile at you, and they stick it in the bag. And you're late for dinner. They smile at you. It's okay, honey. They take it, and they put it in the bag. You, you don't pay the bill on time. They, they smile. It says, all right, we're all, we, all, we all fail. They take it, and they put it in the bag. You know, you do something great, crazy with the kids, they say, okay, it's all right this time. They take it and they put it in the bag, and then you have a battle. And what happens is they grab that bag by the, the end, and they dump it all on your head. And then even after that point, after you've kissed and you've made up, they, they say, excuse me, and they reach down, they grab every one of those things, and they put it back in the bag for next time. Aren't you glad? Scripture says, as far as the east is from the west, so he's forgiven our sins. They're not to be named. They're gone. They are gone. They're gone. 
I'm, I'm a failure. I'm a failure on a regular basis. And oh, how horrific life would be if every time I'm blowing it, the Holy Spirit is, is, is not in a healthy guilt, but, but a condemning guilt. You loser. You failed. Satan is called the, the one who condemns the brethren. Not, there's no condemnation in Christ Jesus. That's uh, not the way he, Jesus, works with us. So why should we overlook the offense? You might say, you know what? This still sounds a little bit like codependency to me. I am not sure I can go down that road. Thank you very much. Well, that's all right. That, you know, you, you make your call. You do. But you need to know some consequences to your call. First of all, uh, it's an obedience thing. So disobedience is never spiritually neutral. It's never spiritually neutral. When you disobey God, your faith takes a hit. When you disobey God, you cannot do that and be drawn close to Him and having everything else in your life be rolling smooth because it's not the way it works. Spiritually, we're, we're, we're very holistic. Everything is tied together. When you disobey, it takes into account everything. Everything works out. Um, also, when, when you choose to not overlook an offense, it's a, what happens to your spouse is you just continue that downward spiral because they will often respond. They shouldn't, but they will often respond to, to shooting back. And then you're going to shoot back more. Then they're going to shoot back more. And it's just going to take that relationship down and down. Forget the concept of marital intimacy. Too much woundedness will have transpired. But when you do overlook an offense, again, a couple things. First of all, obedience is not spiritually neutral. And when you obey... Things happen. Your relationship with the other person may or may not respond, but things change. Things grow. Um, Proverbs nineteen eleven. I'll tell you, it's on the front of your your notes page in your bulletin. If you can memorize that, and that could be a daily verse, that's a great daily verse. That's a great one to have in your arsenal that you can pull out on a daily basis. That a man's wisdom gives him patience, and it's to his glory. It's to his glory to overlook an offense. This past weekend, my, my boys and I, we went and saw 42, good movie, Jackie Robinson. Uh, it's a movie about Jackie Robinson. He first African-American into the uh, National Baseball Association, Major League Baseball. And so you can imagine some of the grief that this guy took. It was in- incredible. As you, as you watch the movie, one point in the game, he's playing Brooklyn Dodgers or playing the Philadelphia Phillies, and every time he comes up to bat... The coach of the Phillies kind of walks out and kind of walks towards the plate a little bit and just starts screaming racial slurs and just starts berating this guy, calling him all kinds of horrific things. And you can tell from the movie, Jackie Robinson wants to take the bat and go take it to this guy's head. And we would all say, yeah, that's right. But he doesn't. He hangs in there. And he'll pop out. And then the guy is saying things like, yeah, you shouldn't be here and on and on and on. Uh, but it, but it, so every time he comes up to bat, this is happens in this this game. Interesting thing happens though, because at the beginning of the the, the show, when he first gets on the team, his white uh, teammates are not so sure they want to play ball with a black guy. But while this is going on, they keep spanning to the bench, and these guys, their their admiration of Jackie Robinson is growing. When they know the inner strength this guy must be uh, using to not go rip the guy's head off. The people in the fans, uh, the fans in the, in the stadium who are calling actually Jackie Robinson names when he comes out. You can see some softening with some of, not all of them of course, but some softening with some of them. Not necessarily feeling bad for this guy. I'm sure some of that is there. But a respect. Incredible 
respect for him. The reporters, who were just not real kind to him at all initially, after the, the, that game, they're talking to this coach, and they're saying, aren't you a little bit hard on him? And you can see a softening with the reporters. Jackie Robinson was influencing scores of people, changing prejudice in a lot of folk, not by his fighting back, but by his inner strength to respond properly. If you're going to influence somebody, this is is huge. It says, do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it's written. It's mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. Next slide. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. This burning coals thing, lots of different interpretations on that. I'll give you the one I think is is right. This very shame-based culture. The goal is to overcome evil with good, right? In this shame-based culture, if... If you were, my understanding is, when you would come to a place of repentance and you would feel so bad, you would carry a pot of hot coals on your head, walk through the village, and it was really a symbol of what was going on inside. Uh, Fire in Scripture often is judgment of God. There's a repentance going on. There's a a, a pained uh, thought going on in this person's heart. Seems to say, you're going to change this person. The way you're going to do it is not by the words, but by overlooking the offense. That's what will change the individual. You know, when uh, years ago I got ordained in 1987, 86, somewhere in there, um, my little brother Pete was probably five, I think, at the time. Uh, he wanted to do something for me. We were ordained. He, he made this for me. Um, it looks pretty junky, I think. A uh, piece of paneling, not paneling, that stuff that goes across the floor. He took it, it looks like he cut it with a hammer. He's got a little cross. He took some sticks out of our backyard, and I think he shaved them with actually his little knife. This is part of my shoelace, I think. And uh, about a gallon of Elmer's glue. He wrote my name on it. Uh, I don't know why I've got a capital K at the end, but that's, that's all right. Um, this is not going in the Louvre anytime soon, just in case you were wondering. It's, it's not going to sell on eBay for millions of dollars. Matter of fact, it looks pretty pathetic. It, 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 really, it, really, it really does. And uh, we'll edit that part out of the CD. Don't worry, he's not, he wouldn't listen anyway, so we're okay. But what if I said, you know what, this is just an ugly thing. This is useless. You know, it doesn't match anything. I just, so you know what we're going to do? We're just going to take care of this thing once and for all because it's so ugly, it's so useless, we're going to get rid of it. Put it out of its misery is what we're going to do. Now, what if Pete was here today, sitting in the back, and he heard me say those things, and he saw me grab the hammer, and what if he saw me wail on this? I just wonder how he would feel. I can't hit this thing, and it's not because it's of such incredible value as far as price goes or aesthetic ability or quality. It represents, though, my little brother's love for me, a time in our life when uh, uh, it was just very, very good time. This means a lot. Now, when you got married, on your wedding day, God gave you a wedding gift. It was his love gift to you. It was your spouse. Is it perfect? 
does he or she look like this once in a while? Probably so. Pro- perfect? No, no, no. It's God's love gift to you. If you berate it and trash it and treat it poorly, what does that do to the, to the giver who gave you the gift? Heavenly spouses overlook offenses. There's, there's a time to put it on the table. One day we should talk about pro- how to do that. But this morning, the principle that I know we could all use in our lives, I can use in my life, heavenly spouses overlook offenses. Is there offense? Is there something been going on that just drives you crazy? And even right now, you can name it. Oh, yeah, it's this thing. Oh, yeah, it's always they never puts that toilet seat down. Whatever it is. And you've told them about a thousand times, a gazillion times, that you know what, maybe you need to be at the point where you say, I'm going to overlook this. I'm going to, and I'm not going to bring, it's not the bag, I'm not going to be bringing this thing up. I'm letting this, really, I'm not punishing this person for it. I'm not going to do it. I'm really, really going to overlook this. Is there something between you and your spouse that you need to land on with this? Take a moment in your own heart, between you and God, if there's something. You can commit that to him.